Let's pray. God, thank you so much. God, I thank you for being so good. I thank you for hearing and answering prayers, God. I just, well, we could sit and think of names. I know each Wednesday night we we stand here and go over those that are in need. We, we go over those that need prayer. We go over those that need a touch. And God, truth be known, if we would take time to, on a Wednesday night to, to go over the prayers that you've answered and the miracles that you've done and the things that we've seen you do here in this church, Lord, we would go well past 8 o'clock, Lord, going on and on with names and miracles and healings and all the times you've, you've listened to our prayers, God. We just want to tell you thank you, God. Thank you that, that we're allowed to come into the throne room of grace. Thank you that we're allowed to obtain mercy. Thank you, God, that according to your own word, we can pray for any that's sick among us. And Lord, even call them the elders of the church, but we can call out their name, God. And Lord, I thank you, Father, that you hear and answer prayers. Lord, you heard the, the needs that we just called out, you know them, Father. Pray you'd intervene there. Pray your hand would be among each and every one of them. And God, I pray you'd be with us tonight, God. I just... Lord, right here in this little group of people, we're here for one reason. We love you. God, we just we want to read your word. We want to know a little bit more about you, Father. I, I pray, Lord, you'd be here in the midst. I pray you touch everybody. Give us a little something tonight, Father. We love you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we we're in Acts chapter 9. And, um, I'm going to read from verse 1 because it won't take me but a minute to read the first seven verses to get us back down. But that kind of ties it all together. So Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse number 1, Saul, yet breathing out threatenings uh, and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, desired of him letters to Damascus and to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, where there be men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. He fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. He, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? The Lord said to him, Arise, go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. The men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. He was there three days without sight, neither did eat nor drink. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. The Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire of the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. He hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hands on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, Heard many things of this man, how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. He hath authority, here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that come that call on thy name. And the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto me in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. So we'll pick up tonight at verse number 7. That's where we left off 
Last week, we've already seen that the men were with them, stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. But here at verse number 8, it says that Saul arose from the earth. When his eyes were opened, he saw no man. That means his eyes were closed, right? And now that his eyes were open, he doesn't see anybody. But they led him by the hand, brought him to Damascus. So there's a couple of different words used here in reference to sight or in reference to seeing. There in verse number 7, the word for seeing is a Greek word. It is theoreo. It means to be a spectator. It means to, to look on, one who looks on. Another word, another definition of it means to gaze upon. So in verse number 7, what we see is that the men who are with Saul, they have their eyes wide open. They hear something. They are looking intently for what it is that they hear, but they can't find it. Anybody know what a sandhill crane is? One person? Two people? Anybody know what a sandhill crane sounds like? No? So what about this? Who's ever been out in your yard, especially in the fall, and you hear, you know what I'm talking about? Y'all hear that? You'd raise your hand if you hear that. Do you know what it was? So those are sandhill cranes. And when you hear them, they sound like they're about the top of the trees high. And you're looking everywhere for them. But to be honest, if you find them, they are a dot in the sky, especially when they're migrating. They are so high. And if there's any clouds at all, you'll look till your eyes are falling out of your head, but you can't find them. They'll come down from time to time. We've had them land in the field out around the house a couple times, but most of the time in the fall of the year, all you hear is that, and, and man, you, you would think they're like right there at the ceiling. But see, that, that's the deal with these men. It's kind of like looking for sandhill cranes. I hear it. I, I know it's there. I'm looking intently everywhere I know to look. I feel like I'm looking right at the noise, but I can't see anything. They, don't, they, they can't see who's there. They could hear, but even though their eyes are wide open, they can't see. Now, Saul, on the other hand, his eyes are closed, but he can see. His eyes are closed, but he sees Jesus. But then it says that when his eyes are open, that he saw no man. The word that for Saul there is blepo, B-L-E-P-O. Saul's eyes are open. The men that are there with him are still there, but now he can't see them. Isn't God just good? They, they can hear, but they can't see. Saul's got his eyes closed and he can see. When he opens his eyes, he can't see nothing. Which means the last thing he saw was the face of the one he was going to persecute. The last thing he saw was the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, why are you persecuting me? So, so the mission of Saul takes a drastic turn here on this road to Damascus. He has a mission. He is a man on a mission. He is headed to Damascus to get the Christians to bind them, stone them, kill them, beat them, get them back to Jerusalem. It says that he has orders that he can bring them back to Jerusalem. We've already talked about that. As long a trip as this is, and he's got a handful of men with him, he probably ain't planning on bringing too many back, which means he's going to make short work of a lot of people there at Damascus. And now all of a sudden, their fearless leader, Saul, who was taking them to Damascus, is now blind, and they're leading him by the hand. So we see that everything Change His whole world has just turned upside down. He is the Hebrew of Hebrews. He's already given us his, um, his resume. He gives us that later on. He's already told us who he is, and, and here he is. I mean, he, he's a Hebrew 
scholar. This is a very intelligent man. He's a Roman citizen. He comes from a family with citizenship. And here he's headed to Damascus to take down anybody who claims the name of Jesus Christ until all of a sudden he met the very man Jesus and now everything changed. When Paul wrote his letter to the church at Philippi, he said in chapter 3, verse 4, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more, circumcised the eighth day, the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of Hebrews, touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Verse number 7. What things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Verse number 9 says, Be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Paul says, all things passed away. Everything was lost so that more might be gained. Paul says, in a sense, what I lost, I am so thankful that I lost because it made room that through Christ I have become what I am today. It's the same thing true of you and I. Every one of us as Christians there was a day when we met Jesus on a road in our life. There was a road to Damascus at some point. We may not have seen Jesus face to face. We may not have been blinded at that moment. But we met the Holy Spirit face to face. We were drawn by the Holy Spirit. We were given an opportunity to receive the Holy Spirit, to have all of our sins washed away. So there was a road in our life where we met the Holy Spirit, and everything old had to die so that everything in us might become new. That everything became fresh. There was a day when everything became brighter. Amen. Everything became better. We can look back to that day, and that's when everything in our life changed. Verse number 9 says that he was there three days without sight and did neither eat nor drink. Now, he did not eat or drink because he was sick. He's not pouting because he can't see anymore and things went wrong. It, it says that, that he is praying and fasting. I realize that Saul just met Jesus, but he's no stranger to prayer and fasting. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's a Pharisee. He, he is, a, he is a very well schooled in the school of the rabbis, so he understands praying and fasting very well. That, that is part of the temple practices. So those who were with him, they got him to Damascus. They bring him to a place right there on Main Street where they left him. And God, the Bible says, he left him there for three days. Probably a good study in that, wouldn't you think? I'm not going to spend a lot of time there, but if you want to study, there's probably a lot right there. He left him there in the dark. wonder what a grave looks like. Left him there anyway. Good study if you want to look into it. Verse number 10, we meet a man that we've never met before. And we won't ever meet him again. Well, we will when we get to heaven, but we won't see him in the scriptures again. It says there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. I said to him, the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, behold, I'm here, Lord. Now, need to pay close attention to this man in our own lives. This man seems to have obviously been a Christian for quite some time. 
he's never met Saul before from, from the language. You would gather he's never met Saul, but he's obviously heard a lot about him. But this is obviously a man of prayer. This is a man who spends some time communicating with the Lord, so much so that when the Lord speaks, he says, I'm right here. Listen, it's a big deal to understand the voice of God. Anybody, any, I'm not by myself. You know, the devil does a lot of talking. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And, and sometimes you have to discern things with the Spirit to decide who's talking to you. If it doesn't line up with the book, but the devil does a lot of talking. I'm just saying, the more time we spend in prayer, the more time we spend talking with the Lord, the more we recognize the voice of the Lord over an imposter that's trying to put bad thoughts. I'm just saying, this man obviously spent a lot of time in prayer because of how well and how easily he recognizes the voice of God. Now, the only, all the way only hear about him that this one time in all the scriptures, if we were for this one story, we'd probably never hear about him. But what we see in his life is that he has an intended purpose. He is just like Esther in her story. He is prepared for such a time as this. I'm sure God used him to do some things before. I'm sure God used him to do some things after. But right here, he used him to do something huge. Anybody know that the transformation from Saul to Paul is one of the biggest stories in the Bible? Anybody know that, that that's a huge transformation and that made a, a whole difference in the entire New Testament? And, and this is the man that is involved in the exchange of that. So we see that he's been prepared, but the reason he is prepared is because he spent time in prayer. Everybody has a purpose. Everybody has a plan. God has designed every one of us with, with a plan. So we have Saul here. He's headed to Damascus. Um, there, there, there's, no, there's no doubt we'll see here in the conversation that the, the Christians at Damascus, they've heard that he's coming. We get that from Ananias' part. They, they know he's coming. They've heard about it. There are many there who the reason they're in Damascus, as we looked at a couple weeks ago, is because they fled Jerusalem. They fled Jerusalem because Stephen was stoned, and that opened up persecution against the Christians. They left Jerusalem to go to Damascus to get away from the persecution that was led by a man named Saul. Now they hear that Saul's coming. I imagine there's probably some sleepless nights, wouldn't you think? I imagine there's probably some nervous folks. I, I would even imagine there are some that have probably fled Damascus already the same way they fled Jerusalem because they're trying to get away from this man named Saul. But what, what we have here in Damascus is the same thing that we see throughout the Word of God. God always has a plan. God always has a plan. And God always has a people. Remember in 1 Kings, we have the story of Elijah, the, the prophet of God. And the, there, there's a lot in the story. And you remember how he, he came and he dealt with Ahab. And Ahab had led the children of Israel into idol worship. They were worshiping Balaam and, or Baal, the altars of Baal. And, and so that's what brought the famine about. That, that's why Elijah called the famine on the earth. And then, you know, he leaves and he goes to the brook Cherith. And he's fed by the ravens. And then the brook dries up and he goes to the widow's house at Zarephath, and that's where the, the oil never failed, the, the mill did stay, the oil, nothing ever ran out with that, that little bit of oil and mill, and it lasted the whole time, and, and then God sends him back, and he goes back, and remember how the king says, art thou he that troubleth Israel, and he's like, man, you got your numbers messed up, chump. 
reason this drought's here is because you're in the first place. You're the one that led God's people in the wrong direction. So he calls for the big showdown, and he calls the 450 false prophets of Baal, and you have the big showdown where they cut themselves and did all they did, and nothing ever happened. And remember, he had the barrels of water poured on, and then he called down fire from heaven, and the fire of God came down and licked up the wood and the sacrifice, and, and it even licked up all the water out of the ditches. Well, after all of that, after all that, in, in verse number 19, uh, verse number 9 of chapter 19, Elijah's hiding in a cave. Remember, um, Jezebel says she's going to kill him because of what he's done. He's hiding in a cave. In verse number 9, it says, He came thither to a cave, lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. They seek my life. Take it away. He said, Go forth and stand on the mount before the Lord. Behold, the Lord passed by. A great wind, a great and strong wind, rent the mountains, breaking pieces of the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. The Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, still a small voice. It was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle, went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on my way to the wilderness of Damascus. So we find this same city involved here in the Old Testament. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Maloha, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. It shall come to pass, him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay. Him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Verse number 18, here's why I shared all this. He said, I'm the only one left. They've been serving Baal all these years. All of Israel is gone, and I'm the only one left here. The Lord said, yet have I left me seven thousand in Israel all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal and every mouth which hath not kissed him sometimes we may feel alone but God says we ain't ever alone God not only is he always with us and we know that he says he'll never leave us nor forsake us but God always has a remnant God has never left himself without a people so we have this man Ananias here. He comes onto the scene out of nowhere. Now, I say, had it not been for this one story, we'd probably never even heard of him unless maybe God used him somewhere else. You know, he's kind of, I was thinking about it, he's kind of like the rich young ruler in the play. You know, the rich young ruler, they bring him down on the thing. He comes in the play. He walks up here. He has a brief conversation with Jesus. He goes back out, and we don't see him again. He's nowhere else in the play before. He's nowhere else in the play after. It's that brief little part, kind of what Ananias is right here. We don't see him before, we don't see him after, but he comes in, he plays a key part right here. But here's what I know. Here's what I know about Ananias. He is called to do this, and he recognized the voice of the Lord because this is a man of prayer. This is a man who spends time 
with God. This is a man who is seeking. This is a man who is searching. And the reason that is important is because we will never be more for God in public than we are with God in private. If you want God to use you to do something great out there, it's got to start in here. Not in here with us, but in our home, in our own life. And, and that's what we see in Ananias. There's this relationship with the Father. So God comes in a vision. I know a lot of people are skeptical about, vi about visions. People talk about visions and a lot of things today. I'm not real big on visions. I do believe that God may give some people some, some glimpses of things. But I, I say this about visions. God's not going to spend time to give you in a vision what is already written in His Word. If God's already written it, He doesn't have to show it to you in a vision. Does that make sense? Now, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not taking away that I believe God may show us some things and that little bit of thing sometimes that God maybe prepares us for ahead of time. I'm just saying this is the kind of vision that's a little bit different. I don't think you see a lot of these kind of visions today because God's doing something great right here. It's not already written. It's not already explained. He comes to Ananias, and, and Ananias said, says, Here I am, Lord. What, what is it you want me to do? I, I'm ready to go. And the Lord said in verse number 11, Arise, go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. Damascus is one of the oldest continually inhabited cities in the world. That street that's called Straight is still there. It's like Main Street. It runs from the East Gate to the West Gate. It is like downtown Main Street. This is a very busy highway, especially in that day. It's where people who had things to sell would set up their little stands, like what we do in the play there, and, and they're selling things, and people are buying and coming and trading and getting provisions and things that they need. So it's in a very busy place there on Main Street, a very heavily congested area. But this is what the Lord said about Saul. He's there, but he's praying. Remember Saul, praying is nothing new to Saul. He's just got a whole new direction of prayer right now. He's prayed his whole life. He's prayed to God. He's prayed through the religious um, elect, if you will, of, of his training. But, but the Lord says that, that he had seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in. So he's already seen the man that's coming. He ain't going to see him when he gets there because he's blind, but he's already seen him. He's coming, and he's putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. So, so God tells Ananias exactly where to go. God tells Ananias exactly what to do. He tells him exactly who it is that, that he's going to see. And he says, I've already been and talked to him. Ananias, just so you know, just like I'm appearing to you in a vision, I've already been to Saul in a vision. He's already seen you coming. I've already got all that worked out. He's expecting you because I told him you were coming. And that's the point where Donald Yancey tried. I mean, I mean I'm sorry. It sounds just like something I would do. Ananias tried to explain something to God. Do you not know who he is? Anybody else like me? Do you not know who he is? God, I can't go talk to Saul. The reason half the people in Damascus is because they had to run from Jerusalem because he's killing people. Ain't you heard what he done to Stephen? That's Hogan age right there. Ain't you heard what he done? Haven't you heard what he did to Stephen? H haven't you heard how ruthless his mouth? I, 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 can't, I can't go there. See, what, what I see in that verse is that I'm not the only one who tries to explain things to God as though he doesn't already know. I see a very close-to-God man 
used here to reach the Apostle Paul trying to explain some things to God. I can tell you, I've discussed some things with God a whole lot longer than this little brief conversation right here. I mean, I spent some sleepless nights going over things trying to explain to God why what he wants done can't be done. What he wants me to do, I just don't have the ability to do. I, I've spent a lot of time. I've spent a lot more here. That's why I'm so thankful that God is so merciful. God is so patient, so long. Man, I, I would have slapped me cross-eyed several times already. But, but I, I do see that, that even in God's word back here that, that, that people, I mean, Saul has a reputation, right? And obviously his reputation exceeds him because he's already heard that he's coming. He says, Lord, not, not, not bad enough what he's done there, but here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. He says, Lord, you've got to have the wrong man. Have you not heard what this man's done? But besides, Lord, if he's blind, can't we just leave him that way? I'm going to be a lot harder to catch if he can't see me. I mean, I can think a whole lot more Christians to get away if he can't see. Can't, can't we just leave well enough alone? But here's what God said. Talking about Saul of Tarsus, persecutor of the church, led the charge against Stephen, had him stoned. He is a chosen vessel of mine. Is that not awesome? That shows me that God has a plan even for little nothings like me. For people like us, it doesn't matter what we've done in our past. It doesn't matter how bad. God has a plan. He's a chosen vessel. The other thing that I see out of this is God gives Ananias something to do. If God gives us something to do, what I see in the story, there are some things here that I can rest assured of. There are three things that I see that gives me assurance to know that I need to do whatever God says do. Number one, if God has given us that to do, he has already prepared us to do it. He wouldn't give us something that we may not feel. If you feel prepared, you're probably in the wrong business. You're probably going after the wrong thing. If you feel adequate, if you feel worthy, if you feel like you can do it, you're probably thinking that up on your own. If God gives us something to do, we're going to feel inadequate. We're going to feel unworthy. But I can assure you, if God gives us something to do, God has already, number one, prepared us to do it. Here's the beautiful part. If we just go do it, we ain't got to do nothing anyway. Because when we get there, it's God that's going to do it through us, and he's going to give us credit as though we did it. Here's the beautiful part that I love about what I see in this part number three. Not only has God prepared me or he wouldn't have told me to go, not only is God going to go with me, but God has already prepared the other end of the story. Saul is waiting for him to get there. When, when God tells us to witness to somebody, when God tells us to talk to somebody, when God tells us to pray for somebody, God's already prepared us for it, but God's already prepared the other end of it. He's just putting all the pieces together right here. Ananias has been prepared for such a time as this, but so has Saul. Saul has been prepared for this very moment. Both of them there is opposite of day and night. They're completely different people. I mean, Saul is born into a family that has Roman citizenship, which we see further along in his life becomes very important when they find out that they have beaten a Roman. He's a Roman citizen, so it, so it matters. He's born into a family that he said he's a Hebrew of Hebrew, uh, of the tribe of, of Benjamin. That means that he's brought up in the knowledge of the Scriptures. He was raised in a city that was known for its high level of education. So we're dealing with a very educated man. Where He was raised in a city where there was lots of people and lots of business, lots of things going on. 
So he's very well associated with, with the things of the world. He understands how things work. He, he is a scholar in the Greek and the Hebrew language. He learned all of those things. He's raised in a home that has a full belief in the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets, what we'd call the Old Testament, it, it is the holy word of God. He's raised with a full belief in the scripture. He's raised to be a man of zeal, a man a, a man that to go after the things of God. We see that in his lifestyle, the way that he's pursuing everything. He, he is fully trained as a rabbi. He's fully trained in the laws of the Pharisees. He has everything in life, but he's just like you and I. God put all of that in his past to prepare him for now. God said, Ananias, I know what you're trying to say. You don't understand what I'm trying to say. See, that's where we get in trouble as people. We try to make decisions based on the information we have, but we never have all the details. When God gives us something to do and we try reasoning with God, we have our part of the story and we try reasoning with God based on what we have, but God has the whole story. He has the whole picture. And he says, I understand what you're trying to say, but, but here's, here's the deal. You just go see Saul. Go thy way. He's a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So the apostle Paul is, is the apostle to the Gentiles first and then to kings and then to the children of Israel. Paul is equipped better than any of the original apostles. You, you think about who Saul is. You think about all of his training, all of his background. You think about who he is. Peter don't have what Paul's got. John, John doesn't have what Paul's got. Andrew, Bartholomew, none of, the, none of the original 12, they do not have what the apostle Paul has. But then God says, Ananias, you've heard about the suffering that he's called. You have no idea of the suffering that he's going to endure. He, there are some things that he's going to endure for, for my name's sake. Matter of fact, several years later, well, name several, it's a few years later, when Paul writes his second letter there to the church at Corinth, he gives us a glimpse of some of the things that he has suffered. You know, beaten 40 stripes three times, 40 stripes saved one, beaten of the Jews and been, been persecuted, been stoned, left for dead, multiple shipwrecks, spent a night and the day in the deep. He says, I've been in peril in every city and in peril in every road in between all the cities. He says, everywhere I go, I face persecution. He says, I've I faced hunger. I, I, I've been thirsty. I've, I've felt pain. I've dealt with nakedness. I, I, I've dealt with cold. He says, you name it. You name it. I've suffered it. He says, but all been worth it for the glory of God. One, one thing that I believe is just, you can probably throw this in the trash. It's Yanceyology, but I just, I just believe it based on my own thoughts and, and what I talk to people and Christians that come and things that they're dealing with in the past. I believe Paul deals with it as well. I, I think one of the greatest sufferings that the Apostle Paul dealt with was the memory of what he did to God's children before his Damascus Road experience. I think one of the greatest things that he dealt with 
was the memory of his path, of what he did. I have no doubt that he had to have met some widows and some orphans along the way in his life that he made a widow and an orphan. He led the charge that killed a husband or a father. Now, I, I don't think he ever forgot Stephen's face. I don't think he ever forgot Stephen looking up and seeing the heavens open. There, there's not a doubt in my mind he never forgot that. It'd be a pretty tough thing to live with to know that you've killed one of the elite of God. Agreed? I mean, you think of what we have in our past. Sin is sin, and it was awful. But I, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't stone Billy Graham forty years ago. You, you know what I'm talking about? He, to to have to live with that. Anybody have to live with your past? You remember some things from your past? It don't matter if it's forty years ago. You still wish you'd never done them. It still makes you sick to your stomach to think you ever lived that way. I, I just, I'm just saying that it talks about the sufferings all that Paul went through. I don't know that hardly anything he went through was any worse than, than just remembering the things that he went through. I do know this. The same, the same with Saul is the same with you and I. God has forgiven, forgotten, and erased. It's gone. It ain't ever coming back. It ain't ever going to resurface. And I thank God for the day when I can't remember the things he forgot. But that day ain't today. Verse number 17, it says, time is old. Well, let me read this and we'll, we'll go and pick up here. Ananias went his way. This would be a good place to start over. Ananias went his way. He entered into the house, putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou, as thou camest, hath sent me that thou might, mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Immediately fell from his eyes as they had been scaled. He received his sight forthwith. He arose and was baptized. So, Lord willing, that'll it's, it's a little past eight. So we'll we'll pick up there next week. Um, please be in prayer for this week. We have a brand new angel that has I don't know I don't think he's ever even seen the play. He certainly has never been in the play. And I guess last night was his first practice, wasn't it, Philip? Yeah, he did great last night, man. I was, he, he picked it up quick, but don't change the fact. He's got a couple of key parts in that play to come in and, and do something he ain't never even seen done before. Um, I'm, I'm just telling you, the, devil, the devil's at work trying to move things around. You just pray. You just pray. I, I'm excited. I'm excited. When you see the devil trying to come against things, you know God's about to do something great. So we got a lot to be excited about. God, thank you so much for being so good, God. Lord, thank you that we can look to you with full hope and full confidence, God. I thank you, Lord, for Lord giving us a whole new heart and a mindset to see that the trouble's not a bad thing and attacks of the enemy is not a bad thing. It just means he's worried about what you're about to do, God. I pray you'd anoint this place, anoint this campus. Lord, I pray for everybody here tonight, God. I'd ask you to anoint each one in this place, touch their families, their home, put a hedge of protection about them, God, make us usable vessels. Father, thank you for loving us the way that you do. Thank you, God, that you have a purpose for us, just like you did for Ananias, that, that, that we're a chosen vessel, just like Saul was. You said that you're no respecter of persons, so what you had for one, you have for all, God. It's amazing that you love us so much. We love you, God. We just want to be used by you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.